You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, and thank you for joining me for The Scoop with Tanya Flanagan. I'm so happy you decided to wake up and start your day with me. Here on The Scoop, where we talk about life, joy, funny moments, trending topics, and so much more. We promise to keep you in the know and find out what you know. So, let's get started. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of The Scoop with me, Tanya Flanagan, here on KUNV 91.5. We are in the month of October, and you've heard me mention quietly a couple of times on the show just quick references to breast cancer, and breast cancer being a part of my life journey. Well, this month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I am dedicating... um, four of the shows this month to a discussion on breast cancer. And so I am excited to kick this series of conversations off this morning. I have on the line in the studio with me and on the line, we have Dr. Stephanie Christensen from Comprehensive Cancer Centers of Nevada. I'd like to welcome her. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. And we also have... Uh, my dear friend back with me today, and we mentioned it before she was here in the past, Avis Brown Riley, who is a professional golfer. And we were here before talking about golf. Well, what we didn't tell you then that Avis is also a breast cancer survivor. And so Avis, good morning and welcome. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I am so glad that we are here together and that we have Dr. Christensen to give that medical perspective. So we're going to kick off the conversation. As I mentioned, it's all about breast cancer. A little bit of my story. I'm a three-time breast cancer survivor. So throughout the month, we're going to dig into um, what we noticed when we were diagnosed, how we responded to it, what the medical journey was like, how it affects your family, how it affects you. Um, and the different courses of treatment and where it can take you in terms of um, lumpectomies. We'll talk about technical terms, mastectomies, reconstruction, plastic surgery. So there's just a lot that goes into facing this journey and dealing with this fight. So without further ado, Avis, um, tell us a, a little bit about yours, because I want to make sure I want I want to have Dr. Dr. Christensen talk about where we are with medical advances. So I had um, two cases of ductal carcinoma in situ, and then one case of adenoma, um, incar- adenoma in, car- in, in, in situ or carcinoma, adenocarcinoma mm-hmm. is what it was at that point. So in, in regular terms, I had in regular terms, I had two that were isolated spaces, like they were confined to a milk duct in my breast, and then a third one that had spread and it was no longer contained. Mm-hmm. So I had stage zero and then stage two A cancers, but your cancer was stage four, stage four breast cancer. And for anyone who knows, there's four stages. So what what kind did you have? And then I wanna. I had invasive ductal carcinoma. So in 2010, I went in for my yearly mammogram Mm -hmm. and received a notice 
three days later, stating that it appeared that something was abnormal. So I returned back. And then the final notice was everything was normal. But in reality, everything wasn't normal. So they should have diagnosed me with stage one, January 2010. Mm. So a few months after that, I started feeling very fatigued, very tired. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one for wearing many hats. Uh, as a, At the time, I was an operation manager at FedEx Express, raising two young kids, making sure that they got to their events after school on time. And I was also coaching golf at Lincoln High School in San Diego. That's where I'm from. And so around March or April, I really started feeling extremely tired. And then come May, I was bathing myself and underneath my right armpit, I found and felt two lumps. So I immediately called my doctor, Dr. Patricia Pissinger. And so she says, Avis, come in tomorrow morning. So I went in the next day and they pulled tissue. And three days later, I found out that I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, stage four breast cancer. Wow. Dr. Christensen, I want to bring you into the conversation because we're talking about diagnosis. Um, Avis and I are are both African-American women, so I know... It's different by race. Can you talk to us about what types of things women hear when they are diagnosed and what it even means? Because a lot of times you don't understand. Yeah, um, I think to take a step back, Tanya, when you were talking about the two, two different types of cancer you were diagnosed with, mm-hmm. you know, I always, I always, you know, the, we kind of go from stage zero to stage four. And um, when it's stage zero or ductal carcinoma in situ, um, that means there are some abnormal cells, but those cells are confined within the milk ducts, like you said. And I always tell people, you know, no one's ever died of DCIS because by nature it hasn't invaded the tissue. It hasn't spread. It can't metastasize. Um, But once it invades through that ductal wall, that's when you start getting into an invasive ductal carcinoma, which is what Avis is talking about. And that's when cells get out of the ducts and and they have potential to spread to the lymph nodes, um, which it sounds like, you know, you had when you're palpating, you know, bumps under the armpits. um, And it can spread to other parts of the body, like the bone, the liver, the lungs. Um, And and so, so that's the biggest differentiation between the two different types of cancer. You mentioned the um, areas that it metastasizes to, that it spreads to. I had heard at one point that the brain had been included in that. Is there anything? It is. It is. Um, Certainly, yeah, certainly breast cancer can go to the brain. All types of breast cancer can go to the brain. There are particular breast cancers that are more likely to go to the brain. So um, we we separate breast cancer by their hormonal receptor status and by something called our HER2 receptor and um, women that have overexpression of the HER2 receptor or something called triple negative, meaning they don't have expression of any of these receptors are more likely to have um, metastatic disease to the brain. But certainly any woman can have metastatic disease to the brain. I like that you brought up, you mentioned the triple, triple negative and triple positive, and we've talked about that often. I was a triple positive diagnosis, which was, um, it was, it was crazy because as I was talking to professionals in the medical field and we were discussing my diagnosis I remember talking with a doctor who was kind of a friend happened to be a plastic surgeon and he said to me we were walking down the street downtown and he said to me not that it's a good thing but it's a good thing you're kind of lucky 
you have triple positive breast cancer. And of course, I'm looking at him with this expression like, how can any part of it be luck or a good thing? I'm, I'm, thir- I'm in my 30s and I'm dealing with breast cancer. And he began to talk to me more about um, women and having the triple negative versus triple positive. So can you talk with us a little bit about that? I don't know, Avis, were you triple negative, triple positive? I was triple negative. Okay, mm-hmm. so we are one of each, right? I'm positive she's negative. Can you can you talk about that with us? Yeah, yeah. So, so as it stands right now, once you get the diagnosis of breast cancer, the pathologist goes back and looks at the individual tumor cells. And there's certain stains that the pathologist can do to determine what type of breast cancer you have. So there's an estrogen receptor and a progesterone receptor. These are receptors for female hormones, and these these receptors um, basically are fed by by the production of estrogen. The most common type of breast cancer is some form of estrogen receptor positive. And then, there's, like I said, there's another receptor we check for, which is called a HER2 new pathway, um, and you can get overexpression of this HER2. Um, and so it's very important when you get the diagnosis of breast cancer to know which of your receptors were positive and negative, and your oncologist is going to care because that's how we dictate what treatment options are available for you. Um, so, Tanya, to go back to you, when, when, when the, your friend told you, you know, that's good news, I always kind of use the caveat that there's no good cancer, so none of it's good news. It's all bad news. It's all right. cancer. But, but, but there is some promising news, meaning when we have receptors, we have more options for treatment. Unfortunately, with triple negative, we don't, we, we're just stuck with um, chemotherapy and, and now in the last year or two, immunotherapy, but we don't have directed therapy, whereas if you're hormone receptor positive, we can attack the hormones, or if you're um, HER2 receptor positive, we can attack the HER2 receptor, so that gives us just more options for treatment. Okay, I think that that is probably the best explanation I've ever had in terms of the breakdown between all of them, because I knew I was her too new positive, right? And that I knew that it meant um, the tr- the course of treatment worked for me. What I didn't understand, I my misunderstanding, I should say, was I thought the people who were triple negative were getting the same course of treatment as me, but the doctors weren't sure. There was no proof that it was working not that it was kind of different courses of treatment as an option because I had these receptors on the top of my cells that were going to receive and respond I didn't realize the differentiation um or the advantage I guess that I had we do we do totally different chemotherapy for a HER2 positive than a triple negative okay now with my treatment in order to save my life I was treated with aggressive chemo and then later after the six doses, I was treated with uh, radiation. And I didn't do radiation. I didn't do radiation because at the time it was presented. So it was actually presented with my very first diagnosis. I was 32. And once the, I did a lumpectomy, I took some of the breast tissue, um, cleared the margins, took the, took the area that included the, the milk duct that was affected, got clear margins, and the conversation of radiation came up. Looking at the statistical data to support why one would choose to to do radiation, um, the percentages weren't outweighing the uh, enough on the positive side versus the other cases of whoever did or didn't. It was like two to one, and it just wasn't strong enough. And it's just in my conviction, in my spirit, something in my spirit just said, I really don't ever want to do, I don't ever want to do radiation. Like, dear God. I just don't want to, I can't see it. 
And so I didn't ever do radiation. And I remember my third diagnosis when it came back the third time, or I had the third case. That's another story we'll get into. Um, radiation wasn't on the table, but I remember going in to see Dr. Allison, Marianne K. Allison, who was also with Comprehensive Cancer Centers of Nevada. And every time I would come in, she would say, you're radiation. And finally, I said, Dr. Allison, I'm not going for radiation, but you keep bringing up radiation. So is this a Freudian slip? Do I need radiation? So I trekked all the way off to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona to get a second opinion because she was like, well, let's just get some opinions. But um, I didn't do it. Um, Dr. Christensen, what are women looking at when they do radiation, and how does that affect you? And then, Avis, how did it affect you? That's kind of... Yes, I'll go first. Uh, how did chemo and radiation affect me? Well, it, it, it's almost like if you were to stick your finger in an outlet, and it just shocks and destroys, and it kills the good and the bad cells. But with radiation, radiation was very devastating in the sense that the laser is just shooting directly at that particular area. But by doing that, that was not good for my body as well. So I live with peripheral neuropathy. I'm still somewhat confused on what really caused me to have peripheral neuropathy. Some doctors says it was the chemo, but then some doctors say it was the radiation. So I wrote the book, Building Up a Champion, How I Became a Champion in Life. And I talk about it in my book chapter seven my battle with the big c and i believe i mentioned that uh, it was the chemo that caused uh, peripheral neuropathy if you can just uh, tune in on that dr stephanie because i just really love to know uh, which one is the truth my, my my strong suspicion is it probably was the chemotherapy more than the radiation um, you know, I don't have your records to know exactly what drugs you got, but but generally chemo can be toxic to nerves. It's it's one of the one of the long term side effects of chemotherapy. Hmm. Um, radiation. While we're talking about it, um, kind of give us more of how it works because there are women out there right now who are evaluating what to do. They've been diagnosed with mm -hmm. breast cancer, and they have this this all this stuff in front of them, and it's overwhelming. Um, I honestly have a friend right now who just the other day had a double mastectomy. Um, she did. She had a double mastectomy. And she's at home, expanders. The 800-pound gorilla is on her chest right now. Um, it is the worst feeling. You can't even sit up without feeling like it feels like a ton of bricks is just on your chest. And you're trying to get up. And every move literally takes your breath away. But there's someone there trying to figure out, do I couple this with radiation? Um, what are they facing? What is it doing for them? So they, they don't understand, Dr. Christensen, what, what is it? Yeah, so to take a step back, you know, not all women need chemotherapy. Not all women need radiation. Um, but some women need all of the above. And, and generally what chemotherapy does is, I talk about it's trying to control cancer cells that may have spread distantly in the body. So cells that have escaped the breast, escaped the lymph nodes, and maybe in the bloodstream, which have the potential to land on the liver, the bones, the lungs, the brain. What you want is chemotherapy to kill off those cells. Um, what radiation does is it's trying to kill additional cancer cells that may have been left behind in the breast or the lymph nodes. Um, and so we, we talk radiation is more local control. Whereas chemotherapy is distant control, trying to get these cells that have spread, radiation is local control, trying to make sure the cancer doesn't come back in the breast. And there's a number of factors that go into who needs what. 
Um, in large part, um, we think that women who don't have mastectomies that only have lumpectomies need radiation. There are, of course, some exceptions. But in general, if you've had a lumpectomy, you need radiation. So I was defiant. Um, said no (laughs) and I did I did breast conservation so I preserved the breasts which is why radiation was recommended exactly Mm -hmm. and um, and then women who women who have lymph node positive disease need radiation as well Um, very often women who have very large tumors need radiation so there are guidelines to dictate who needs what um, and, and so after, you know, you have your surgery, um, you'll always meet, not always, but if, if your medical oncologist or the surgeon thinks it's necessary, we'll have you see a radiation oncologist who can kind of go through your case and figure out, you know, how much you benefit from it and, and what are the risks and versus the benefits. What made you um, go into this field? Because, I mean, it's so, it's a relationship. And I will say for me, I know with my doctor, when I got the letter and, and she's retired now, but I have to honestly say, um, even when I think about it, anytime I think about it, it's an emotional space for me because you become so connected to the person who treats you that you don't mm-hmm. think you can make it if your oncologist isn't there. It's like, <laughs> what? You're going to retire. Well, what am I going to do? Um, and her goal is that you never have to face it again, that she gets you to the other side and you're just healthy and you have all these years. But you're just sitting there thinking, but what am I going to do? You're not going to be here. How do I how do I function? So it's it's such a personal space. Um, Why this field of medicine for you? I was very fortunate to get into it, um, to become an oncologist and now with a focus in breast cancer. Um, I love the fact that I have these long term relationships with patients. And I love the fact that my cure rates are very good. Unfortunately, not perfect, but they're very good. So you get to see patients who you treated who were nervous and clung to you and you're in your office in tears, you know, over and over again, who've now gotten through their journey on their other side and they're living life and thriving and they come to see you, you know, once or twice a year and um, and, and you get to have these long-term wonderful relationships with people. And it's really been a, a blessing and a wonderful career. Well, I want to say thank you for, um, you weren't my doctor personally, but thank you for being in this field. Um I had Dr. Um, Josette Spots, who was a breast specialist, um, who by the end of her um, career was part of the Comprehensive Cancer Centers of Nevada family as well. And then I had Marianne K. Allison, um, who really took me through my journey before I was transferred to another doctor because she retired. But your care um, is so important. And women advocating for their care and Avis maybe you can talk about this too because and you did kind of in your initial introduction but even more um, I remember when I was first diagnosed and I, I go through three different doctors to get an opinion to make sure what they're telling me is true and at that age I was working for the casino was a public relations manager with MGM Mirage Resorts and I'm busy you know I'm moving I'm grooving I'm coming mm-hmm. out the big green monster every night thinking wow Oh, I work at MGM Grand. Look how grand it is. It's just so Vegas, right? And whoop, here's this. Not a, it's a, To me, it's a hiccup. It's a speed bump. So I'm like, just fix it so I can keep going. And my first thought was find a doctor, get it fixed, whatever they say. I, I don't think I really checked all the way in until the third time. The second time I was angry, but we'll get there. But I, I, you know what I'm saying? So I guess what I'm saying is um, 
women have to advocate. And what do you say to that? And Dr. Christensen, what's some advice you can give that maybe even goes beyond the self-breast exam that they tell us to do every month, you know? Well, well, even the even the guidelines for self breast exams have sort of fallen out of favor, where most the most the experts actually don't think they work. Um, and so, so I don't even think that's as important as just making sure you know if you're of age, getting your annual mammogram, you know, keeping up with a primary care physician so you're otherwise in good health. And then if you notice any changes in the breast, you know, dimpling, you know, redness, lumps, bumps, nipple discharge, nipple bleeding, you get in right away to see that primary care doctor or OBGYN who can who can get the process going. Avis, for you, what was your space of, of what, what do you say to women about being aware and empowered to? Well, I was diagnosed at the age of 36, and I was very fortunate to have Uh, Dr. Julie and Dr. Jennifer as my doctor and my oncologist. So they too had breast cancer. So they treated me as if they treated themselves. So I just like the audience to know that continue doing your yearly mammogram and the body speaks to to you. It talks to you. It really, really does. It shows you signs of something not feeling right or you know, you start to develop lumps, you can feel those lumps in your breasts. I felt them under my, my armpit. Uh, and they were deep behind the tish, tissue. So I just highly recommend that women not think of going in for a mammogram as a fear factor, but a greater appreciation of going in to detect early detention. I want to, um, I want to add to that because you mentioned Filling the lump. I was 32. In my case, I had a milk duct that was involved. So I didn't feel anything. I actually had three suspicious areas in the same breast when I started on this journey. Um, I had a 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 11 o'clock area on my breast that were of concern. And I want to say, too, to people, take someone with you to the doctor. Take a a friend, someone that can help you hear. And I say this because it wasn't until I was further along in the journey that I realized what they had been saying to me was if two out of the three areas came back as positive for cancer, I was facing a mastectomy at 32 years old. And I was like, I didn't hear that because I just was... I think all I heard was cancer and everything else that went with it. I was going to the doctors by myself. I wasn't taking anyone with me. Um, I was, you know, just, I can do this. I got this. I can go. I didn't hear, I didn't hear half of what was said to me, but I want to say in in the vein of not feeling any lumps, I was having headaches. So to your point, Avis, you do know your body Um, changes. Things are different. I don't know, headaches, not sleeping well, tired, Mm -hmm. just something that is very off. Take it seriously. I'm not saying that it's breast cancer. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you know your body better than anyone else knows your body. So if something seems like it's not right, um, do the due diligence to determine what may be the cause of what's making you feel, you know, that you're not right. In my case, I happen to have breast cancer. doesn't mean that's everyone, you know, the situation, but... Um, 
Well, I like to charm in on that, what mm-hmm. you just stated. When I walked in the door to the doctor's office, I was with my husband and my parents. Mm. Uh, I'm still fairly young at the age of 36, mm-hmm. like yourself, 32. And I sat down, and when I looked at the oncologist, Dr. Jennifer, I could have sworn her eyes were about as big as a bullfrog when she's talking to me. I just zoomed in and zoomed out. You hear, but you don't oh, hear. Yeah. Yes. So always take someone with you to take notes to take notes notes. yes absolutely because you're sitting there and you're in shock and you're just not quite sure how to react it's almost like you're stuck in that moment and it was a very interesting moment at that time just sitting there saying okay uh, I hear what she's saying but I couldn't receive it like I wanted to until I got in the car my husband was like were you not paying attention I was like yes I did but it seemed like everything was just going over my head and Mm -hmm. that's the space that Tanya talked about where you're not quite sure and you're not ready to accept the fact that you have been diagnosed with breast cancer because everything is going through your mind what you're being told is this the right doctor for me is is he right is she right Is this really the best course? Do they really know what they're talking about? Do I get second, third? I mean, there's a million things and you cannot focus. But um, in the medical space, Dr. Stephanie, um, anything else that that before, because we're the morning goes so quickly and we're down to our last five minutes to talk. But I'm glad we're able to lay the foundation from a medical standpoint of what to look for. I want to let you bring us full circle on things that you would share with patients or women about breast cancer and and be mindful. Well, I think because it's October and it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I think making sure you get your mammogram scheduled. Fortunately, in Las Vegas, it takes a long time to schedule, so so call ahead and make the appointment because um, the radiology centers are, seem to be pre-booked out for a couple months. So making sure you get that. Um, and, um, and I think to reiterate, if, you know, you start to feel a breast change, especially if that persists more than, you know, a few days and it's not going away, then absolutely get in early. Don't wait. Um, there are type, types of breast cancers that tend to grow really fast. Um, unfortunately, African-American women are more at risk for some of these triple negative, more aggressive breast cancers and tend to present later. So, so not sitting on breast changes, you know, asking for help if, if you detect something new or different. And anything on nutrition that we can share with them that you would say to them? Um, there's so much here that we we could unpack just about how your diet's affected in chemo and just how you're feeling. But um, from a preventive standpoint or just a healthy living standpoint, is there anything that is widely recommended or that you like to stress to your patients? Well, what I say is it's, it's all the stuff we know we're supposed to be doing that's so hard to do. So we know that women that exercise multiple times <laughs> better (laughs) Um, trying to get your heart rate up you know four to five times a week for 30 to 45 minutes Um, trying to stay healthy body weight Um, in the medical field we define that as a body mass index less than 25 so a healthy body weight you know less processed foods more vegetables more lean proteins you know less red meat all that stuff is 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 valuable um, certainly less alcohol is valuable. Um, I always tell my patients, you don't have to completely abstain from alcohol, but you shouldn't be a heavy drinker. So for women, that means one alcoholic beverage or less per night. Um, and those are the main things. Okay. I think those are, are good standards and they're mm-hmm. healthy. And um, I just like to, we know them, but um like to bring them back to top of mind. 
um, it's important to hear them because then you're reminded and it, it maybe helps you mm-hmm. reset. Uh, I know we're about to approach another New Year's resolution, but sometimes in the middle of the year, just over the hump, you need to reset and have a, a strong finish. So if that means we can get on track with exercise and diet, um, that may contribute to us saving our lives during this Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We want to stress that as much as possible. Um, I want to thank both of you for being on the show this morning. Avis is going to continue to go forward with me this month. Dr. Christensen, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you more than I can express. Um, thank you for your for your work and your service, and thank you for your time um, with Coleman when we were together there as well. Well, thank you, Tonya, and thanks for all you've done to give back to the breast cancer community. I know it's been really valuable uh, locally and, and beyond. Thank you. Um, Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to The Scoop. I hope you have learned something. Um, Remember, schedule your mammograms and check on your buddy. We'll see you next week. I want to thank you for tuning in to The Scoop with me, Tanya Flanagan. And I want to invite you to get social with me. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. My name is my handle, T-A-N-Y-A-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N. You can also find me on Instagram at Tanya Almanize Flanagan. And if you have a thought, an opinion, or a suggestion, don't hesitate to shoot me an email to tanya.flanagan at unlv.edu. Thanks again for joining in. Stay safe and have a great week.